This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Deep South Dining. This morning, we want to congratulate and welcome back Carol Bucket Palmer to the show. Good morning, Carol. How are you? Oh, I'm blushing, Mal. <laughs> I thought it was a radish. Turns oh, out it's no. you. <laughs> it's me. Thank you, Java. Thank you, Mal. We missed you. Well, I we missed did. you guys, we did. too. I missed we you missed guys, you. too. You said I had been married a few weeks ago. Actually, it was a few days. Days ago, but it Days feels like ago. oh, okay, <laughs> like, like weeks ago. Yeah, well, welcome back, and thank you. Uh, we're so happy for you and John and uh, all involved. And you went on a little trip. Some people would call it a honeymoon. Some people might just call it a fishing excursion. <laughs> but y'all, yeah, it was our version of uh, a honeymoon, right? and we chartered a 45-foot Hatteras fishing boat Mm. that came with two great captains, Captain Al and Captain Matt, and we went deep-sea fishing when we could, but with the weather, we... Yeah, it was a rough weather Yeah, yeah, but we we just had a wonderful time. Dock life and boat life are are wonderful. So you would be docked, except for when you would go out? Yeah, yep. And on the days when, you know, it was too rough to go out, we did some fun things mm-hmm. in the boat, like went to lunch at a place like Pirates, uh, yeah, Pirates Cove, where they really didn't want you to be there. They had, oh. they had you know, they had that beach kind of attitude that Vibe. was fun. I, I went up to the counter to order a hamburger for John, and I said, hold the onions. We don't hold anything. You get it like we give it to you, and you Whoa. can take off what you want. Well, there you have it. Yeah, but it was fun. It was, you now, know, this is it was Orange funny. Beach? This is Orange Beach. Okay. And, gosh, I I haven't been down there in a long, long time. What a explode. lot has changed. Yeah, but the backwaters, the beautiful waters behind it, um, mm. just just beautiful. I had thought it was just that strip with right. hotels, but that's only a tiny part of There's it. There's more to Orange Beach than meets the eye. Than meets the eye. So <clears throat> did you get any fishing in? Was the weather too rough? No, did get some fishing in. Caught some, you know, bonita, which is a form of mm-hmm. tuna, not not great to eat. But caught vermilion snapper. Red snapper, snapper are not in season, but the vermilion snapper is a smaller, kind of pinkish-colored hmm. salmon. and I mean, um, snapper. Snapper. And You're eating salmon. Twill be dinner tonight. <laughs> Twill oh, be dinner tonight. tonight. Oh, okay. Yes, I am eating salmon as we speak. As we speak. So You had a party. We had a party at our house, Kara's birthday. And, you know, her, her birthday this year fell on Easter Sunday. So we had a little soiree on uh, the Friday night. Well, I have to and, say uh, that I did follow the party, the pictures on right. Facebook when we were in the dock, and I was really proud of you because you put the big pot in the little pot for Kara. 
That's right. As they say in the country. As they say. And we had <clears throat> one of our favorite chefs and teachers and home cooks on on this show. We had her, Leanne Galt, prepare the food. A I thought that brilliant, was a fun. A brilliant and wise move on your part. Mm-hmm. And what a spread. Uh, there were hummus. There was hummus. There were roasted vegetables. There and the were hummus was made of? Field peas. Just not garbanzo beans no, no, or field no. peas. And there was lamb meatballs. And there were many other tasty treats. But the star of the show I brought in this morning uh, for you in Java was a smoked salmon <clears throat> on a rice cake. That's uh, two brooks rice. Sable, I do believe, is the type of rice. It's the dark rice. Topped with some creme fraiche and a little twig of dill. I thought that was the star of the show, though there were there were many great supporting well, actors there. This, this um, rice cake, first of all, it's black. It's sable. But it's highly seasoned. Mm. And it just adds a great... It does have a nice little a kick great, to it. A uh, counterpart to the salmon. So would you talk while I finish eating my take? <laughs> well, Java just consumed one. Yeah, What's your take say, on my, it? Yeah, mine is gone already. Um, <laughs> I tried to be kind of, uh, you know, slow with it, but no. Uh, but yeah, that rice cake was awesome. Um, that The smoked salmon was wow. And then putting it putting it together, top with that, um, with that hint of dill. And that creme fraiche was, it, I mean, I wish I could have had, you know, maybe two or three or more of those. Well, <laughs> we'll see. There, well, there aren't many left. Yeah. <laughs> maybe Leanne will be very, very good. But what a great Mississippi product, the sable rice from Twin well, from yeah, two, two Brooks. From Two, two Brooks, Brooks, yes. Lord from knows we've Brooks. eaten a lot of Two Brooks rice because we've been so blessed with yes, we have. Uh, a, a pantry full. And speaking of blessed, we got a present when we got here this morning. We got a gift from uh, uh, one of our guests uh, last week. Yeah, yeah. Charlotte, Charlotte Duck Pelton, who was on the, on the road with her daughter, uh, kind of reclaiming their Mississippi roots, uh, culinary roots and cultural roots. And she had to bring us a little bit of uh, South Florida because uh, she's in Miami now. This is Moho. Criollo, 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 Spanish marinating sauce. Mm, man, this stuff looks out of I Miami. Know, I know. We'll have to. We'll Can't have to wait. report on this. I love it when people bring us gifts. And it has a little alligator on the front, so it just looks. Yeah. It, it looks kind of like something's right. happening. <laughs> <laughs> Something is happening. Look, before we put a bow on Easter, and, I, and we had a delightful Easter over at our house. I hope each of you did, Java. I hope you had a nice Easter. It was okay. I don't know, but we we got the hailstorm. Oh, sorry. And, and around mm-hmm. around my way, so we actually um, <laughs> I had one deviled egg, and then um, one. I, I'm telling you, it was a it was kind of a wreck, man. Wow. And um, yeah, so maybe next year. <laughs> we had a great time. We had the kids over, uh, and we had Easter baskets and an egg hunt, of course, and <clears throat> a lot of sugar. There was a, a lot of a euphoria. Lot of- yeah. Uh, in the air. Hyper kids. <laughs> hey, Mel, one yep. thing I wanted to go back to from the party yes. that I noticed on Facebook were the Vicksburg tomato sandwiches. Right. A whole. Now that's a Janet Wagner thing who I think Janet picked them up from the old uh, 
Southern Tea Room. Yeah, well, we, we don't know that. They, We're well, assuming that they, Vicksburg tomato sandwiches are a thing. Okay, and had my <clears> friend <throat> Donna Barksdale and I been there. We would have eaten the whole tray. <laughs> well, it'd have been a fist fight because a lot of people were all over these. Vicks. Yeah. People couldn't believe how good these tomatoes were for this time of year, and they came from Doris Berry. Yes, they did. I believe they are from Decatur, Mississippi. Oh, yeah, yeah. Decatur I ch- I tomato. Decatur <laughs> from Decatur. Well, tomato from Decatur. Um, but but what I wanted to say about the Vicksburg tomato sandwiches, every four years, you know, we have the International Ballet Competition for the right. past 40 years. That is the most famous dish of the International Ballet Competition for all the judges, the foreigners, the people mm. come, coming from out of town say, I hope we will have Vicksburg tomato sandwiches. In other cultures, they just don't do mater sandwiches. So, so these were, I thought these were on white bread, but it, it turns out it was another type of, of naan or some kind of bread. I, that I, well, of course, Leanne probably. She jazzed it up. Yeah, jazzed it up. But the, but the traditional sandwich, yep. you take like a piece of soft bread, like mm-hmm. bunny bread or sure. wonder bread. You take a biscuit cutter or just a glass, Top of, out a glass. Of, yeah, mm-hmm. out of your pantry, cut you know, cut the center out to right. make your little round. But what makes a Vicksburg tomato sandwich different is homemade mayonnaise. Yes. You could be run out of Vicksburg if you were caught using product on your tomato sandwiches. <laughs> and, the, and the mayo blend is jazzed. It has herbs and spices. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I know Leanne. Uh, I think she's texting me here, but I got to read. I got to read this one thing and then we'll dig deeper into Leanne's description. She, she was defining uh, some of those dishes that uh, that she served for us. But I wanted to read something that was on Facebook this morning from a friend of mine in Boonville, Mississippi, Norma Lambert. Uh, she and my friend Bill Barnett um, went to um, Olive Branch for Easter, and, and <clears throat> Norma took a picture of the cake she made and the table uh, that Bill's daughter set and wrote this, I thought, very uh, interesting and nice little tribute here on an Easter Sunday. It said, one of Bill Barnett's daughter, Virginia Barnett, hopes Easter tables. This, she's defined, he said, that's what this picture is. My Williamsburg orange cake isn't as pretty as the table, but it's a special cake. For many years, I baked this birthday cake for my dad every April 17th. He would be 103 today. So, I was so glad to have the Barnett Hope family to share it with. Note to my dear cousin, Ruby Dean Smith Woodruff, this cake is in your sister Louise's memory, too. Louise Smith Carpenter was born on her uncle Cecil's 17th birthday. If heaven is a place of complete happiness, those two are reminiscing right at this minute. I thought that was a nice family food Easter uh, remembrance to post uh, on Facebook along with a picture of a cake. I think so as, as well. I think I saw a picture of that cake. Yeah. it's a, Now, do you know what a Williamsburg orange cake is? Java, I, I don't. But, no, uh, I don't. It, seem, it seems to be a thing, uh, and maybe Norma can... Can elaborate or I'm on hoping it. some other listener, if Norma is not listening, will. You say Williamsburg, Williamsburg, Orange Cake. Yeah, Williamsburg, Virginia, of course. Yeah. Uh, 
It must be a traditional cake. Uh, so that's a nice tribute. And, uh, you know, again, if, if you're interested, we have our Facebook page, Cooking and Coping Carol. Indeed, we do. For those who want to participate. So did, did you get any more ideas from Leanne Wait, off the phone? Uh, let's see. What did she say? Sorry, folks. Uh, <clears throat> let's see. She said that the Sable Latkes with H-A-R-I-S-S. Harissa. Harissa. Harissa is a, a spicy, that's what spicy she, sauce. That's what she and said. And she's that, calling them Latkes. We were calling them little rice cakes. We were calling them rice cakes. I'll make y'all some soon, she says. And the bread was naan. An Indian flatbread. That you and I like to eat. And here she says, uh, Janet's garlic aioli was on the tomato sandwiches. So there, that puts a wrap on the Vicksburg uh, tomato sandwich and on the rice cake or the latke. And that would be Janet Wagner, one of our great cooking and coping posters. Great host and a fun person as well. You know, she hosted the little reception for For Charlotte Charlotte and uh, her daughter Amanda. When they were in town before the night yeah. before we came this is on what air. we do on cooking and coping. We meet people online, and then when they come through town, it's like you know them because we know their food. Mm-hmm. We've seen their kitchen, we've seen their table, and the great connector. Yeah, so Charlotte <laughs> right. was entertained by a group of people that she had never met in person, but she already had developed close friendships. And one last thing about our spread at the birthday party is that Leanne roasted all these amazing vegetables, cauliflower, broccoli, little baby tomatoes with the skin, I mean potatoes with the skin on them, garlic. There was all these roasted vegetables. Kara has already taken most of those roasted vegetables and turned them into the most ridiculously yummy soup I've tasted in a while by adding chicken stock, uh, some salt and pepper, and just pureeing them with that Mm. <laughs> that hand blender. Immersion yeah. blender. The an immersion, immersion blender. <laughs> yep, you can. You could also take it and put it in a regular blender. But of course you could. If you're really cool, you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's what she did. So we have this huge pot of soup. Now, before we take a break, and we're about to do that, Carol, there are a lot of national food holidays, right? But right. one that really stuck out to you and I was the lima bean respect. Day, which is the twentieth day of March, is that March? No, no it's uh, April. April. It's I'm in the wrong yeah. month. Yeah, Java's thinking in the past, but yeah. you <laughs> and know I'm that really into the it, past. it caught it caught my eye that that's a perfect name, Lima Bean Respect Day, because we should respect our beans. We should, and I love nothing more than a giant pot of slow cooked beans with ham i know and you like to do those big old boxcar boxcars so go. here's here's a fact for you mal put it on me carol lima beans originated were first cultivated in peru peru note the name l-i-m-a which would be lima, lima. peru ah. which we have transposed to lima of course we have (laughs) (laughs) but lima beans were cultivated even even before corn way before corn hey mal hey java do y'all know the difference between a lima bean and a butter bean a butter bean is smaller and some of them are green Yeah, wrong, Mal. Ding, ding, wrong. The difference between a lima bean and a 
Butterbean is nothing. They're the oh, same. Oh, marketing. Naming. You heard it here. <laughs> nothing you but the it, name. You heard it here. Nothing but the name has changed to protect the, the innocent. innocent. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, we will take a break. And, and we respect shall, your beans. We shall return, and we respectfully ask that you respect the lima bean. But as we uh, go on break, I'm going to ask Java to talk about our very famous podcast and how many people tune into our show live as they are now listening to us. But often people podcast because they can't block out an hour on a Monday morning at nine. And Java, tell them how they can access the podcast. Well, the podcast is available by any podcasting app. So your Apple app. Uh, podcasting platform or your favorite podcasting platform. You can also download the MPB public media app, which is absolutely free and uh, Deep South Dining along with the other shows will be there. Or you can visit the website deepsouthdining.mpbonline.org and you can check out the podcast there. Excellent. We'll be right back with more Deep South Dining. Hi, I'm Jason Klein from Fix It 101. If you ever thought about changing a doorknob or fixing a leaky faucet, some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. Goodbye, Joe, me gotta go, me oh my Me gotta go, pull the P-Roll down the bio. Ah, yes. Welcome back to Deep South Dining. It's Monday morning, Carol, and we're down on the bio. Talking about filet gumbo. Exactly. So, you know, this is the show all about the culture of southern flavor. So this morning I've picked one of my favorite southern flavors to talk about, and I wanted to talk about sassafras, the sassafras tree and the roots, which are used to make sassafras tea and the dried leaves are used to make filet as in filet gumbo which is spelled f-i-l-e i remember the first time i you saw it the- in a recipe oh yeah the little accent I, you know when i was young seeing it in a recipe and i was going mama do we have any file you know what? That exact same thing happened to me, but later in life. When I got my first job washing dishes and cooking in a restaurant in Hattiesburg, uh, I was doing my first inventory with the manager of the of the hotel, the motel, and the restaurant, and the lounge, and all that. And, and I was in the storage room reading off what was on the shelves, and he was writing it down. And I would say, you know, we have a... You know, two gallons of olive oil. We have six packs of macaroni dry. And then I got to, we have a full pound and a half of file. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I, I'm glad that I admitted. Co- <laughs> I came forth with that, that evoked. <laughs> and my cousin, who was the manager, he fell out. He fell out. He said, boy, that's not file, that's filet. But anyway, growing up, listening to that song, the filet gumbo on the bio, uh, I looked up the lyrics, uh, and it turns out the way that filet is, is spelled in the, apparently in the original uh, Hank Williams uh, library is F-I-L-L-E. He called it filet gumbo. But 
course, he must have been talking about filet gumbo. Yeah, he was talking about filet gumbo. He just didn't know how to spell. Didn't know how to spell, like some of the rest like of us. Like if somebody said filet, what would you come right. up with? Filet a fish. But what a great and enduring song. No doubt. And it just, every time you hear it, you go right down to Louisiana. Absolutely. To the reason I brought it up is because I was thinking about flavors, and uh, I started thinking about the sassafras. My grandmother, Stuart, Mama Stuart, loved, 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 loved sassafras tea. And uh, one of my jobs as, as a child was to go out in the woods and find sassafras trees and bring back roots so she could make tea. And you sort of did yeah, the same and, sort of thing. Well, uh, my grandmother was a few miles north of yours in Hattiesburg, and we went to the curb market mm-hmm. in Hattiesburg, mm-hmm. which was kind of a, a permanent farmer's market. And, you know, it would be like on a Wednesday or whatever right. day of the week, and we would go get little bags of sassafras roots for sassafras tea. I don't really see that anymore. No, I haven't seen it in a while. You know, the the little roots were about cutting like four-inch, three- or four-inch pieces, and we'd, Mm -hmm. you know, drop them in the boiling water and then turn it off. But sassafras tea is a wonderful, wonderful It's it's an aroma of my childhood. And and my grandmother would put a a few pieces of the root and water in a little pot and put it on the heater in the wintertime instead of taking up an eye on the stove. So when you... Walked out of that cold house into that warm kitchen. The first thing that hit you was just a a cloud of sassafras over there, slow percolating uh, on the on the gas stove. You know, I mean, the, the heater. Over the years, you have written about food memories, and I still have you know on my computer a story you wrote about. Sunday pot roast. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And I remember one of the lines was, my mother scorched a pot roast every Sunday (laughs) of her short and something. Tragic. And tragic. tragic, My my stepmother. Yeah, stepmother. But I I remember that story, and and you write with such passion and compassion about your family. And I really urge you to, to write the Sassafras story. I shall. I shall. I'll get right on that. Yeah. Now, the uh, what's the herb, the gumbo, the green gumbo herb? Gumbo zerb. 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 It, it has a Z. Yep. Apostrophe. H e r b e s. So we can herbs. just call it here in Mississippi, gumbo herbs. Herbs. And um, Lee. Uh, Leah Chase. Leah made Chase it, made, made it. it. Yeah. And I, for some reason, I came across that recipe this past week, and I reposted it on Facebook. And in it, of course, is what is the thickening agent? Filet. Filet, of course. But it was a poor person's gumbo to start with. You know, now it's somewhat what exotic, but mm-hmm. I believe it was made with thirteen different type of grains, and you would just go out in the woods and field and pick your your grains to make the gumbo with. Well, anyway, if you're interested in that recipe, it's on my it's on my personal Facebook page. I didn't put it on cooking and coping, but I need to. Yeah, um, you really should. I think yeah. it would uh, provoke a lot of interest and a lot of conversation. Yeah. And you know, one of the I'm thing- lazy. 
you are not you are not lazy. And I forget to go back and put it on cooking and well, coping. No, I'm I'm the lazy one. Also, I haven't cooked in a month, but um, well, you've been. <laughs> yeah, I've been a little busy. A little busy with this but lifestyle change. Now this. This going back to filet. Do you use filet in your, in your gumbo? Yeah, occasionally, but I'm an okra guy. You know, yeah, so that's you my choice of thickener. Yeah, yeah, okay. is uh, is okra. But, but uh, you know, and I read that okra, you know, was a was a West African, you know, uh, product that we know about because of uh, of the West Africans and and the tradition of the making of gumbo. And the word gumbo actually came from the word okra. I don't know those original words but sassafras was was a choctaw uh contribution the choctaws were drying the sassafras leaves and thickening food with it long 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 ago and so you know we are the recipient of both the west african tradition of the of the okra and Mm -hmm. the uh, native american choctaw uh filet and as it should be because gumbo is a melting pot of Flavors. Indeed, it is. But what one thing I wanted to go go back to with filet, I have heard and heard that you always add it right at the end or after you remove the gumbo from the heat. Do you know it? That, it I gives think that's it a exactly fl- right because it, it, if you cook it, it gets bitter. Is my okay, that's my small yeah. uh, but but clear remembrance of it. And I have used it, but I, again, I started using okra early. But I, we did use filet at the at the restaurant there in Hattiesburg back in the early 70s yeah. when I was uh, learning how to cook from an industrial perspective. Well, thanks for bringing yeah. that to yeah, us. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. glad to talk about filet well, I'm glad and that sassafras. When I, said sassafras you said oh i have a sassafras memory as well java yeah. any relationship to sassafras no i don't really have too much relationship with sassafras i'm learning from yeah. you guys right here i especially with the sassafras tree and getting the roots like you going literally to the woods mm-hmm. to go get the roots mm-hmm. that's something. sounds old school doesn't it yeah that wasn't that wasn't in my childhood so you know i'm, I'm learning Java's about the sassafras yeah, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm he's, looking for it on the shelf. He's, <laughs> he's way up front. Yeah, he is. Um, you know, Java gave us some ideas for fresh spring produce. He did. Yeah, things that are just really tasty right now. And one was asparagus, carrots, beets. Radish is one of my favorites. Yeah, but Malcolm, there's something that sticks out to me on that list. Rutabagas. Rhubarb. Oh, rhubarb. It's a yang. Isn't that? That's a, a northern a thing. It's not a flavor of the south. Well, I don't. I've never fooled much with rhubarb. I've heard of rhubarb pie. Yeah, but I associate that with people in Maine and New England. I'm oh. wondering. Well, I'm wondering well, how other people feel about. How do you rhubarb. feel about rhubarb? Hmm. I don't feel good about it. But before we talk about rhubarb, <laughs> we're wow. going to the phones and. Uh, We've got Becky on the phone. Becky's in Bay St. Louis, and she wants to talk about filet. Hello, Becky. Well, hello there. How um, are you? I'm great. I'm great weekend. I'm from uh, Liberia, Louisiana, originally, but I live in Jackson, and uh, I came came to Jackson uh, after Katrina, where I live in Bay St. Louis for 25 years. But. Oh. Um, I'm a Cajun, and my mother was all Cajun. 
And we never, she never put the filet in the cooking of the gumbo. It was always on the table. And so you would kind of open up the filet, the filet, and then put it, sprinkle it on top of your gumbo after it was cooked. Mm -hmm. So, and then I lived in Connecticut, and there were really big ones on strawberry rhubarb pie, which is very good because the strawberries kind of add a sweetness to the rhubarb. Yeah, because the rhubarb is sour. Right. Yeah, right. but but you're right. That's what I associate it with. I associate mm. it with the East Coast of New, New England. Yeah, places right. like that. I enjoy your, your uh, company when I listen in Jackson, where I am most of the time. But for holidays, I come back home to see family, basically. So, and I, I know I've seen Malcolm. Uh, he's the mayor of Bay St. Louis now, and I always, <laughs> when I see him, when I see him riding his bike, it's like. Hey, there's the mayor, the new mayor. <laughs> the mayor is out riding his bike. <laughs> the mayor believes in in cheap and easy transportation. <laughs> Let me tell you, Bay St. Louis is a bike rider's paradise. It's as flat as a pancake. And yeah. there's that great trail from the bay to Waveland that is on, built on the beach so you can ride your bicycle uh, on a pathway along the beach. And that came after Katrina. That was a post-Katrina. No. Right, I, right. It it's was developed further uh, after Katrina. I, but there stayed, w- Yeah. I stayed during Katrina, but it's a lot better now. I mean, it has really taken its – I mean, it's just, like, become a beautiful, beautiful little haven where all of our hometown people, you know, not everybody came back, but there's new people, mostly from New Orleans, but from different places. So right. it's kind of a melting pot now. It's different, but still the same. Right. Well, thanks, Becky. Thanks for calling and sharing your filet remembrance of your, I believe you said your mom would put it as a condiment, Carol. We never met a condiment. We didn't like that. Is That is so true. And I also want to thank Becky for giving the rhubarb a better name than I gave it. Hmm. And from uh, a listener, Thomas Williams, he texts, there is a great restaurant in Asheville, and the chef owner. John Fleer. By the name of Rhubarb. There you go. Thank you, Thomas. One of the great restaurants and great chefs of the South. And and Thomas poses a question. I wonder if your listeners prefer seafood or chicken and sausage gumbo. That's a great question. Now, there's a great question. Listeners? Tom, that is a good question. Thomas Williams wants to know. <laughs> I'm a seafood minds, gumbo. You're a seafood gumbo. I'm a seafood mm-hmm. gumbo. But I don't, I don't mind a, yeah. a good chicken and, and sausage. My brother, God rest his soul made one of the best duck and andouille sausage gumbos yes. uh, that I've ever had and loved that. But growing up, it was always seafood, it, every now and then chicken gumbo. But I like it all. I do, too. And one gumbo I really love is our friend April McGregor in Philly, PA. PA, right. Her turkey gumbo. And that turkey gumbo has been published and... Then it's been sent around cooking and coping for two and a half years, and I've made it a number of times. So I want to put in a shout-out to April and Turkey Gumbo. Love the Turkey Gumbo. Now, we're going to take another break right here. And, Carol, on our way out, I wonder if you would share with our listeners a little bit about our Cooking and Coping Facebook page and how they can join that great gathering. 
go on Facebook, put in the search bar, Cooking and Coping. The actual name is Cooking and Coping, Gathering Around the Virtual Table. It's a public forum. Join us and sit back and watch, or better yet, jump in and share what's going on in your kitchen. And we will talk about you and your food on this show. Absolutely, and we learned so much. We're going to take a break. Come back. We're going to talk about brunch and grits. The Steep South Dining. We'll be right back. Hi. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center and host of Southern Remedies Relatively Speaking. Join us as we explore issues that relate to you and your family, from mental health obstacles and family interactions to handling life disruptions. Whatever the issue, let's try to figure it out together. You can listen live Tuesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. If I don't love you, baby, secrets ain't grocery, eggs ain't poultry, and Mona Lisa was a man. I just soon listen. I love Little Milton. Little Milton. And, uh, you know, grits are a thing and uh, brunch is a thing. So we're going to talk a little bit about brunch. And you can't talk about brunch in our world without talking about grits. Your grits are the star of any brunch in the South. And they've gotten sophisticated. There used to be grits. They were white. They were in a box or a bag. And you boil them in water, and you might put some salt and pepper and a little bit of butter in there. And that was grits growing up. That was it. There was no stone ground. There was no colored grits, no souped-up, cheesy, garlic grits with uh, caviar and us. On we go. You know, that all changed. I, I don't when know did the it happen, year. Carol? But, well, I, the first uh, thing I knew about was when they published River Road Cookbook yes. in Louisiana, which was maybe in the the late 50s or mm-hmm. early 60s. I'm going to look it up because it's still one of the best-selling cookbooks of all time. And I have it, but is that the first time we saw souped-up grits? Well, it was, it was garlic cheese grits garlic cheese made grits. with the little rolls of Kraft which you can't Garlic, find anymore. Cheese, which you can't you can't find anymore. But that tragedy. That recipe was on every table of the Deep South. And from there, then yeah, we and got it had into garlic powder in it. Right. And now there's um, rice grits, stone yeah. ground grits, well, articles you know, written about grits and garden and gun. Twenty five pages long. Twenty five pages of an essay on grits. Yeah. Well, um, there's Al Green's life. Well, grits as a weapon. Yeah, that was that's kind of tragic. It's a famous story. Al Green, he, uh, I guess, had a real life come to Jesus moment <laughs> 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 where he got you know a pot of boiling hot grits on him um, as he hopped out the shower in Memphis, and you know it changed his life. 
Yeah, man. That was a mean woman. Yeah, but I think Al, you know, you don't if, think it, Al deserved that's grit, about, yeah, grit bath. If he tells a story, he, you know, he, he was doing some things. Yeah, so, coming. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think anybody has scalding grits. They, no coming. one deserves that. But um, Malcolm, I see you have have something. I have an article here from Garden and Gun called "Stone Ground Killer," uh, written by the late great Julia Reed from December, the, the December January Garden and Gun collection of 2016, and she talks about food uh, grits as a weapon. <laughs> <laughs> We thought they were just for brunch. Yeah, yeah, they're not just for brunch anymore. She (laughs) says, scary as it all may sound, the subject at hand is not food contamination or even consumption. It is food, especially grits, as a deadly weapon. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Well, it says that grit attacks are somewhat common, (laughs) particularly in Louisiana, she goes on to say. Golly. Wait a minute. Break this down. Yeah. <laughs> no, they, they, they Pouring them. grits on others Wait as on. a weapon. Okay. It's kind of I'm akin to hitting it. people over the head with a cast iron skillet. Right. And, and Julia goes on to saying, to be fair, grits are not the only food or food-related weapon in the food pantry arsenal. When I first started spending time in Louisiana in the early 1990s, I heard a tale of an irate wife scalding their husbands. <laughs> with boiling red beans laced with lye. <laughs> the citizens of Florida are apparently more partial to beef. Then She goes on to tell a story about a guy uh, throwing a raw steak at him. I, I don't know. Just food is weapons. Yeah, it's, is weapons. Uh, only Julia Reed would come up with Only Julia this. Reed. I, I think oatmeal's used, but not as frequently as... Is so when you pull up to the house, it doesn't say beware of dogs. It says beware of boiling grits, grits yeah. on the stove. I suppose. But, you know, stone stone ground grits are a return to whence we came. When That's right. you had your mills in the area where you lived. And, you know, grits are a dry ground uh, food. Yes. And... You, know, you knew your miller, you knew how he, he made his grits. And also at the time, white grits were uh, you know, what everybody ate because yellow corn was considered an animal food. Mm, right. So you didn't eat the yellow grits. You didn't. And now there are multicolored grits. And it's so wonderful that all these small mills are able to produce grits now. Now we have a couple in Mississippi. Um, I know there's one up around Oxford. Yeah, I think you know you have uh, Grit Girl, um, Delta Grind Grits. Uh huh. <coughs> other and, and other others. specialty. Yeah, grit but um, makers. the there was an article in Garden and Gun a few years ago, and I remember buying extra copies. In fact, I just sent the whole magazine to a woman named Atina Tan, who was one of our cooking and coping posters from Seattle, Washington. Oh. And you know, she was musing about grits, but they they had, you know, really what was the bible of grits and if you're going to make grits it is said first pick good grits. And it said most grocery store grits have been sitting on the shelves over 6 months. And Frank stood at Holland's Bar Holland's Bar and Grill in Birmingham. 
says that 99% of commercial grits tasted like sawdust when I opened them. He's a, well, I mean, he's a, he's a chef. And, uh, but, yeah, these chefs have introduced the rest of us to so many different brands. And I know when John and I read this article a few years ago, we started ordering, mail ordering the grits from the list that they provided and it's really worthwhile to go back on the internet and just put in garden and gun grits and go to this article. And uh, we did McEwen and Sons in Wilsonville, Alabama. That's the one that Frank uses. Hmm. And we've done uh, Anson Mills in Charleston, South Carolina. And I just got a shipment from them of their antebellum grits. He has oh. actually brought back uh, seeds. Yeah, from 100 and 150 years ago, these heirloom corn products, and and it's just wow, absolutely delicious. So grits is often uh, the centerpiece of brunch. Brunch being that meal that combines breakfast and lunch, eaten in the early afternoon or late morning. Generally served, it says here in my notes, between 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. Is that a Rigid time frame there, Carol? You know, I I think we're a, a 24-7 grits, you know, grits community now. And brunch whenever you want it. Yeah, and, and brunch brunch is great. What do they call it? Lupper? Lupper. Lunch, Lupper. lunch supper. <laughs> yeah, lunch supper. But I love Or Liner. Liner. Sounds like Lamas. Lamas. Lamas Williams. Lamas Williams. But... As I was saying, I put grits under fish at night, you mm-hmm. know, for a starch. Right. And it's delicious to, you know, pan a uh, fish. Instead of rice just, or potatoes. Yeah, and just, you know, set it on grits. And then, of course, shrimp and grits <sighs> has become one of the most famous recipes of the past few decades. And one of my favorites are grits and griots. Tell us about grits and griots. Well, griots are a, a cheap cut of beef that's pounded out and and uh, cook tender in a beautiful broth. If I'm not mistaken, it's a red wine conglomeration yeah, yeah. Uh, with some onions and garlic and such. And it's cooked a long time and cooked down until it's almost like stewed. And then it's put over, uh, it's a Louisiana thing, it's put over grits. And uh, my brother used to make a mean grits and griots. You know, I know Janet Wagner makes a lot of grits and griots. I was actually served some of hers over the weekend, and they were absolutely delicious. But I want to talk about a, a couple, of, a couple of technical things okay. about grits. And you should really keep, especially your stone ground grits, in the refrigerator. Okay. Um. That's very, very important. Um, you know, I keep them in, in a in a free, in, you know, in the freezer because I go through a lot. And, you know, we live out in the country. And another thing is, a lot of people soak their grits overnight, and I'm wondering if you or Java do that. I do not. No, I don't soak my grits. I know that's what I'm, that just, sounds intriguing. <laughs> I just go. Right into the hot boiling water. Yeah, into the pot. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, some of the chefs uh, who got their recipes, too, from their you know, grandmothers or passed down, uh, uh, 
talk about soaking the grits in water and then skimming off what you call the hooks, uh-huh. mm. skimming them off to the top. and doing that two or three times. And mm. it actually shortened the cooking time of the grits because it's skim- husk dehusking because <laughs> it, it skims away <laughs> the pieces that take longer, you know, longer to cook. So, you know, mm. some people do that. Some people toast their grits in the oven before cooking. To give it a little what nuttier about in the, flavor. In the bottom of the, the pan, of the pot, before you add the water, you could just put a little butter or oil in there and sort of brown them off a little bit. Yeah. Toss them around and yeah. toast them and then, then add the That liquid. sounds delicious. Um, hmm. and, and, I, and I loved this food writer in Charlotte, in Charlotte North Carolina, t- called, named Kathleen Purvis, says instant grits are a crime against humanity. Yeah. Well, growing up, it was all we had, but we, it was a necessity. Back, yeah, yeah, you nowadays, know. of course, I'd prefer not. Now, do y'all know about the cooking the grits in the crock pot? Well, I read, I read there, like John T. Edge of Southern Foodways does it. Was, do you do it? No, no. I, that was the first time I heard about that, cooking them overnight in the crock pot. I was like, is this a roast or something? Like, I don't, no, <laughs> it, it sounds grits. interesting. And then I saw somebody else talked about going out duck hunting in the morning, which, you know, you get well, yeah, up like at see, 4.30 yeah. and doing your grits in the, co- in the crock pot and coming back. But I, mm. I never even thought of that. Neither me. I've often thought about and grew up where you would put the roast in the oven and go to church mm-hmm. and come yeah, back. That's your come Sunday, back, yeah. Sunday pot roast. That's right. And the roast would be ready, but not grits. No, not but, the grits. hey, why not? That would be my question. Yeah. So I want to know, do you guys add like buttercream, cheese, all, the, all of the above, or, or are you water purist? <laughs> no, I or do you add sugar? Uh oh, that's the that's yeah. a up, up north mm. they do that. Well, that's where it gets, <laughs> it gets <laughs> Connecticut. It gets tricky. <laughs> rhubarb, rhubarb, sugar. It gets and tricky. It's, it's some fine lines being drawn. Now, are uh, you a sugar and grit guy? No, Java? I'm. I'm not a sugar and grits because I'm like a I'm like a shrimp. Uh, I like butter. I like. Um, I like kind of a savory type of type of grit, but I can re- I can remember, like when I was younger, that I would you know you could get a little bit of sugar in your grits just you to experimented to when make we it sweet. were young. We experimented with different <laughs> different lifestyles. There you sugar go, sugar and grits being <laughs> well, one of them. And I think parents would put sugar in there to get the children to. Eat the grits. Yes, and uh, but the, now it's it's a it's a whole community. Like you know, it's either you on the sweet side with grits or you on the savory on the savory side. It's, Ooh, yeah, well, savory, different factions savory. out there. If anyone has an opinion, all they have to do is pick up the phone, and dial toll free right here one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, and you can have an opinion. And give too. us your opinion. You know, Vivian Howard, the great North Carolina chef we've had on on the show before, she cooks her grits in a double boiler. Hmm. And you can tell this is a Vivian Howard thing because she said, I'm just not going to stand around. <laughs> yeah, she, <laughs> moves. Stir. she moves. I'm not going to stand around and stir. She said, I'm not going to stand over anything for more than 30 seconds. <laughs> so, um, And wow. also the famous Edna Lewis made her grits in a double boiler. Well, it's good enough for the two of them. I mean, yeah, it surely be it's good enough it, for yeah. us, right? <laughs> I don't know. If you have an opinion about this, folks, you can 
Obviously, we're the only ones that are concerned about grits. Well, it's Monday morning, morning and a lot of people in post Easter just haven't gotten there yet, Carol. I know it. You know, they didn't all just get married a few days ago. (laughs) I'm I'm eager to get back. But I do want to say hello to uh, some of the teachers who are out today. A lot of a lot of teachers um, are um, at home, so they could call in and let us know what they're doing on their day off. <laughs> I bet you they're not standing over a pot of grits. No, I know it's probably some some shut eye getting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I bet I bet you know one of those teachers. I do, and unfortunately, she may not be getting a lot of shut eye with the little ones running around. <laughs> yeah, um, that's were, right. When, when school's out, the kids are at home as well. <laughs> there was a, a good grit story. Speaking of the restaurant Rhubarb in Asheville and its great chef John Fleer, when his father was in college, you know he was living a, a poor man's diet, mm-hmm. and he would you know, buy instant grits for. Less than a dollar, and he would stir in the little grape jelly. You know those little Uh grape jellies that you peel back the. So you can even put jelly in your grits. Okay, we got a caller calling in from Corinth, Mississippi. Something that John Palmer knows a little bit about, having grown up there. Sarah's on the phone. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. And you? Excellent. We're glad to hear from you. What's happening in Corinth? Thank you. So I was born and raised in Gary, Indiana, and my parents were Mississippians. And so we always had grits with butter and sugar for breakfast. And I was actually a grown woman and had moved to Mississippi before I actually ate grits savory style. So, you know, I'm a big fan of the shrimp and grits and you know, I cook all that stuff, but yeah, all my life, we always grew up with sugar on our grits. And because that was my daddy, he was a big sugar bean, too. And so, if you put salt in his grits, I mean, that was trouble. <laughs> Those are fighting words right there. <laughs> well, that is interesting, growing up, eating them sweet uh, as a child in Gary, Indiana, and later coming to appreciate them as a savory dish. Uh, Right. I think my, my thing for me, I'm a foodie anyway, and so I'm I'm all about something different. So, yeah, but all my life, it was always sugar and butter, no question, uh, <laughs> growing up. You know, speaking of sugar and butter, I'm reminded of growing up. We made sugar toast. I don't know. It just yeah. popped into my mind. We put would take butter and sprinkle a piece sugar of white it. bread and spread yeah. butter on it and put sugar across it and put it in the oven, and that was breakfast. Oh, yeah. And cinnamon right. toast, so we, sprinkle we, cinnamon on it. Right, right, right. Yeah, it, it had to have the cinnamon, too. Well, that's great. We really appreciate, Sarah, your listening and calling us and sharing your story with us. That's great. And I, and I think a lot of young people uh, got sugar in grits uh, just to get them used to the grit. And then they later came to love them as they a They were weaned off weaned, the sugar. Weaned off. That's right. You know, Malcolm, one time you and I were at Southern Foodways in Rick. Rick Bragg, the great writer from Alabama, was the first speaker of the morning, and he gave an impassioned talk on why he hated grits, Mm. and it did not go over well. (laughs) No, I bet it didn't. It it did not, but he, he maintained that grits are only a blank palate for salt, butter, cheese, and shrimp. Come on, Rick. We do not agree. We love Rick. But we don't agree on that. It was pretty funny. We love grits. Well, 
Thank you so much for tuning in today. Deep South Dining is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting's Think Radio. And we are funded by generous contributions from listeners just like yourself. And we thank you. Our show is produced by Java Chapman. For my co-hosts, Carol Puckett Palmer, I'm Malcolm White. We ask that you now stay tuned for Marshall Ramsey's show, Now You're Talking, followed by Southern Remedy at 11. And we ask also that you join us next Monday right here for more Deep South Dining, heard exclusively on MPB Think Radio. And congratulations, Carol. And we will see you all next week. 